The following is a Pro Football Network podcast, the primary voice for pro football at profootballnetwork.com. Welcome in to Between the Hashes yet again. A fabulous week four of college football is behind us. Week five is ahead. As always, I'm Cam Miller, joined by Tony Pauline. Tony, how are we doing? I'm okay. Get a little bit cool here in New York, as I'm sure it is in your area of the uh, nation as we move into uh, October. Today's the final day of September. Goodbye summer, goodbye warm weather. Goodbye warm weather, indeed. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly learning and piecing the, the seasons of Columbus, Ohio. Apparently there's 12. There's a false summer, there's a false spring, et cetera. I'm in the middle of, I guess, what was the last week was false fall, where it reached the 40s at night, but now we're in the upper 80s this week coming up. So it's, you know, you're teased a little bit. So weather's weather. Uh, but let's get to football because it actually does feel like football weather. Let's uh, look back. Look back before you can look forward. Texas A&M versus Arkansas this last weekend. Arkansas proves they can hang with the big dogs. I worry for them next week, this week coming up against Georgia, but we can discuss them in a little bit. But Arkansas versus Texas A&M. Arkansas defeats Texas A&M. Honestly, it wasn't the closest. Probably the final score wound up saying yeah. they they beat the, the breaks off them in that first half. Yeah, I mean, they took it to them. And good, good for Arkansas. I mean, you're right. We'll see uh, this week if they are the real deal. I like their quarterback. He's a developing uh, young passer that uh, has got a tremendous amount of upside. Obviously, Traylon Burks uh, had a massive game again, really developing into a terrific prospect. Smoked uh, Myron Jones, uh, the Texas A&M cornerback, on that, what was it, 80-yard uh, touchdown uh, reception. And Myron Jones, I have him graded as the fifth-round uh, prospect. Some scouts have him as early as the third round. He just looked lost on that. And uh, Burks is, is having, a you know, the type of year you want to have before you enter the draft. The thing is, can he do anything more than run go routes? You know, he's got to show some uh, good route running skills and the ability to separate. But, you know, <laughs> the task at hand is to win uh, football games. And that is what Arkansas is doing, year, you know, after season after season of playing mediocre football. Yeah, it's uh, Sam Pittman. I mean, if the season ends tomorrow, even if the season ends when it does end and they don't win another game, I mean, he's in consideration for – coach of the year the turnaround from 2019 to last year's team was good this year's team all of a sudden winning more games than they did last year in the year before combined basically so georgia this week it's a big one we'll discuss that in a little yeah. bit but the other the other arkansas player that I, I i've talked about on twitter i've talked about in some of uh, my game previews i talked about him in this week's risers and sliders is john ridgeway uh, the big defensive tackle, the athletic defensive tackle who transferred over from Illinois State. He was a guy who really is a redshirt freshman when I watched the Illinois State uh, film. And they always have a good, good decent amount of uh, prospects. Well, only once in a while guys are drafted, but they get signed as uh, priority for agents. He was someone, Ridgeway, who popped off the film on me. And he's been playing. He was terrific against Texas. He was real good against Texas A&M. The stats line didn't show it for Ridgeway. But he was constantly collapsing the pocket. He was getting pushed up the field. Had, and the uh, Texas A&M quarterback had to move his feet, had to move around because of Ridgeway. A real good prospect, 6'5", 322 pounds. He's just got to polish his game. Came into the season. I gave him a fourth-round grade. I could absolutely see some team falling in love with him and John Ridgeway ending up as a day-two choice. They keep winning games. Again, like I, we talked about it last week. If anything, Sam Pittman knows it's the trench warfare. And so a guy like Ridgeway coming in, being coached by Pittman, uh, this is awesome. I thought Trey Williams had a great game too off the edge. It's I, The defensive line, I think they don't – offensive line and pass blocking is a, a thankless job. You can only lose or only have a negative in pass blocking. But pass rushing, I, you know, it's got to be quantified a little bit better. But, I mean, the, the ability to 
collapse the pocket and force game plan to change is you can't quantify it. But if you watch that, the the Arkansas offense defensive line just dominated that Texas A and M offensive line. I when you watch Ridgeway, he was constantly being double teamed in the middle of uh, in the middle of the line, and what that does is that opens up opportunities for the guys out on the edges. Yeah, it's uh, Texas A and M fell flat, and uh, I saw the interesting stat. Now, of course going with national championship aspirations and all of a sudden Jimbo Fisher's being compared to Kevin Sumlin because wow. in their first 40 games, they both finished 29 and 11 and had three bowl wins. So there we can discuss this in another, that's another. Yeah, But, but the thing is, this is we, we said this, I said this coming into the season. I mean, you know, you lose Kellamond, that's a tough guy to replace. And then their starting quarterback goes down with injuries on the yeah. sidelines and crutches. I mean, come on now. Are going to compare him to, Ke- to Sumlin right now? Let, let's let's take the uh, our foot off the throttle on that one. <laughs> Jimbo was worth with that, the extension talk. That's another topic for another day. So, While our state, state wish he never left. Oh, God, yeah. I was there. We, we, I was there when he threw out his Christmas tree before Christmas Day, and that's how the news was broken that he was leaving FSU and leaving Tallahassee because who throws your Christmas tree out before Christmas Day? So Jimbo aside, FSU, uh, anyways, Iowa State, Baylor, two programs not quite on the FSU project, projection and trajectory. Yeah. The Baylor offensive line, I mean, they dominated that first three, four possessions. Yeah. The first half, Iowa State made it a game in the end, but – Overall, good game, a good Big 12 game, I guess, is the best way to put that one. Yeah, it was solid. I got to tell you, I mean, Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State, just every time I watch him, I'm like, wow. And it's, I think Brees Hall makes Brock Purdy's job that much easier. Brock Purdy needs a guy like Brees Hall so he can throw the ball, and he's not even doing that good of a job of it this year. Brees Hall, coming into my season, was my number one rated back. What did he have? 190 yards on 27 carries against Baylor with two TDs, uh, 51 yards on five receptions with one TD. I mean, the guy is just, like I said, he's, he's David Montgomery with speed. He can turn the corner. He's got the power, he's versatility. I mean, this guy, Brees Hall, is, in my opinion, easily a top of round two type of prospect in the draft. It's uh, another Matt Campbell running back. Uh, you'll have Kareem Hunt, David Montgomery, and Brees Hall. In the NFL, just dominating. But this guy, this guy's different, though. This guy is big, he's powerful, but he's also got terrific speed. I mean, he's got a burst, and he's got he's he's more versatile than Kareem Hunt, and he's faster than Montgomery. Yeah, I think he's the best of the Matt Campbell trio that'll be in the NFL come uh, the 2022 season. So, speaking of that NFL draft in the 2022 season, I want to make sure we get this out there too. The NFL and the NFLPA coming to that agreement of. With the COVID-related issues last year and the blanket free year of eligibility, all players that are in their fourth year or above are automatically entered into the NFL draft. They have to opt out by February 4th if they want to return. So uh, that will make it messy for all of us to track our players that are in the draft this year at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Why February fourth? I mean, why didn't they keep it at or maybe a few days before the underclassmen date, which is usually January 15th? I mean, the, the February 4th date makes, you know, no sense to me. 99% of those guys are, uh, their college seasons are over. <laughs> I mean, uh, a month before. 99% are, are over by uh, January 1st. You know, a couple of interesting points. The way the combine invitations go out is the first batch of invitations, which is usually about 175 guys, go out the end of December to the seniors. And then the combine waits for the official junior entry list. And then the second batch, which is primarily underclassmen, 
goes out the third week in January. And then if there's anybody left over, they will they will add some uh, seniors to that list who are on the bubble. They get to their number, which is usually between 320 to 330 players invited to the combine. Now, if I'm a senior and I don't get my NFL combine invitation by January 5th, I wonder how many decisions that will sway. You know, a guy, a senior saying, yeah, okay, I'm going to go to combine, I'm going to go to the NFL. All of a sudden, he doesn't get a combine invite. And we know, you know, the chances of you getting selected in the draft, if you are not invited to the combine, I think it's like 10 or 15%, something like that. So I got to wonder how many of these guys who, if they don't get uh, senior uh, combine invites, will go back for another senior season. But overall, I, I just think that the that date, February 4th, makes no sense. Keep it at the junior uh, under uh, the, uh, the junior declaration date to keep everything a little more tidy, a little bit neater. I got to assume that this does not make uh, NFS scouting, who uh, uh, national scouting, who runs the uh, national invitation camp, who runs the combine, and the guys who decide the teams and the votes who decide on who goes to the combine, not too happy because this just drags the process out a little bit longer. Yeah, it's three weeks longer for all of us, for everybody, not just them, too, that have to cover this and get your ducks in a row to get there to figure out what we're going to cover from the media standpoint, but also the players. I mean, you, you're you stuck sort of in limbo. If you, That's an interesting point, though. I like that the, if you don't get your invite that first week of January after December, like last week, December, first week of January, they're in limbo because then they're waiting for the junior thing. So maybe that's why. I don't know. But, I mean, at that point, if you make it all at the same time, then say I'm coming back, say I'm not coming, I'm going out. Like, I don't know. It's a... It's a little messy. I get it. They needed to do something, obviously. Uh, there was maybe no easy solution, but here we are left with a lot. Well, I, I think there was an easy solution. The easy solution is make it the junior declaration date, which is January 15th. Now, what happens? What happens is if if the first batch of senior invitations go out and then a, a kid says on February 1st, I'm going back for my senior year. Not one kid, but let's say 15 seniors who were on that initial list or, or even the secondary list. Seniors uh, say, I'm going back for another senior season. Does the NFL Combine replace them? Does the NFL Combine wait for that final batch of 30 or 40 invitations, which is the last class, which is usually the uh, the second tier of seniors? Do they wait until February 5th or February 6th to send that second batch out? A uh, little bit messy. Maybe I'm making too much of it. Uh, but hey, you know, this is scouting. This is the NFL that. draft, and this is what I do. <laughs> well, and it's what a lot of people do, and it's what a lot of kids wait for for their entire lives. So, yeah, let's make it as messy as possible, guys. Let's not just have a blanket date. I, hey, we can argue it till the cows come home, probably, I, I think, at this point. So let's move on. Week four is behind us. We have a battle of number one overall picks, Trevor Lawrence and, and Joe Burrow on Thursday Night Football. But let's do college football because this week five slate, it's it's up there. It's It's very, very good if you look at it from a college football angle, if you look at it from a draft prospect angle. The biggest one, again, it's Arkansas. It's the Arkansas Razorbacks versus the Georgia Bulldogs. Do From the college football standpoint, I'm looking if Arkansas has the depth yeah. to play eight straight quarters of top ten opponents. You play four quarters against AM. KJ Jefferson gets hurt. Hornsby has to come in for a little bit. Do they have the depth to hang with Georgia? And do the Georgia Bulldogs get some injured players back that also all of a sudden makes them fresh? Uh playing, you know, basically their SEC season starting now. Yeah, and is Georgia the real deal? I mean, they beat Clemson that first week. Everyone was uh, – a lot of people were like, hip, hip, hooray. Yeah, this shows Georgia's for real. But, you know, if you really took a look at it, you knew that Clemson was going to be a, a tier below where they've been the past three or four years. So 
uh, yeah, big game from a conference point of view, from a national standing point of view, also from an NFL draft point of view. Let's go back to Traylon Burks, you know, a guy who was a, a week three riser, as we talked about, had a tremendous game against Texas A&M. You know, now he's going to be going up against some stiff competition. Darian Kendrick, the transfer from Clemson, and Tyke Smith, a player who I absolutely love, the transfer from West Virginia, who I believe I'm, I'm reading will finally be fully healthy for this game. This is going to be a massive, I mean, short of uh, going up against Stingley of LSU, this is going to be great competition, great head-to-head matchup. And again, with Traylon Burks, terrific receiver, good downfield threat, Let's see if he can run good routes and separate from these guys, especially Tyke Smith. In my opinion, potentially the most underrated cornerback in the nation, cornerback prospect in the nation. Has been on, I believe he played a little bit a couple of weeks ago or last week against Vanderbilt. What I'm, told, what I'm reading is he's fully healthy. Uh, it's going to be a great matchup. Yeah, he was awesome. He played that sort of strong safety slot corner role at West Virginia so perfectly, so well. He fits in the, the SEC level of play and with his grittiness. He's a little bit short. But he's he make more than makes up for it, in my opinion. Uh, I love Tyke so much uh, as a college football player. I love that we love him for the NFL draft as well because he's a he's a great dude, a hard worker. I, I, I hurt for him when he was injured and couldn't play. I know he's just wanted to be on the field and improve himself, but also help Georgia win. That's why he went there in the in the uh, the ultimate race to uh, get a national championship. So let's uh, let's keep it in conference. I'll, I'll wrap it out here with Ole Miss. Alabama's going to take the headlines. It's Saban versus Kiffin. Kiffin's going to say it's rat poison. Saban's going to say whatever he's going to say. Saban's undefeated against his former assistants. It's an interesting game. Ole Miss presents some challenges for the young Bryce Young. Bryce Young could cement his Heisman candidacy this week with another win here. Matt Corral's rising up people's draft boards, If you depending on where you look. It's, it's a very interesting matchup from a – college football perspective, I think, because Bryce Young, the quarterback at Alabama, is so young, and Matt Corral could use this game as a springboard into uh, the NFL draft conversation. But it's a, that's an interesting one. And then we have Florida versus Kentucky. The Gators versus the Wildcats, two varying styles of offense. I like this game stylistically. It's a underrated rivalry, in my opinion. But Florida versus Kentucky, what do we like? What are we looking for? And, you know, everybody loves uh, Kentucky's offensive lineman, the big right tackle, Darian Kennard. I like Kennard, but I like Dare Rosenthal better, their left tackle, the transfer from LSU, who, when he played last year, he showed a lot of flashes, has played relatively well this year, looked a little bit gassed late in that uh, South Carolina game, which was a close contest. But Dare Rosenthal against Zach Carter, Zachary Carter, Florida, uh, seven tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, four games into the season. Carter's not a real great athlete. He's sort of uh, a four-man defensive end that should play over right tackle, but he's a decent pass rusher. I I think the size, speed, uh, athleticism issues may push Carter down, but he's a darn good football player. I really want to see the matchup between Rosenthal and Carter. I think this has big next-level implications as far as potential day two selections. Yeah, this is uh, another one we've – we saw the the sort of emergence from Kentucky quarterback Will Levis, and then he's had two subpar games after that. So he had two great games, two subpar, and now he gets to go up against arguably uh, his stiffest contest in terms of secondary. So I, I like the Gators in this one. I like the Gators big in this one just because of that. You're looking at a dual quarterback situation, Emory Jones, and if Anthony Richardson's healthy, the dude's the better quarterback, one of the better in the SEC. So that's a fun one. Let's get out of the SEC realm, though, here. Let's move on. Cincinnati versus Notre Dame. This one's sort of a pick 'em. Cincinnati can 
prove that they belong. And this is that their last real stiff test. If they don't drop, they can run the table in the American and then maybe crack that college football playoff for the first time from a group of five school. They have to do it against the Notre Dame team who, yes, Graham Mertz is not a good quarterback, but still they were ball hawks and they were pretty terrific in the secondary against, uh, against Wisconsin, two pick sixes in that game to sort of just seal that one in the fourth quarter. So Notre Dame, Cincinnati, this one's a fun one in my opinion, because it's, it's, if you like, secondary play if you like corners and second and uh, safeties uh, yeah i mean you know notre dame they just find ways to win whether it's wisconsin whether it's uh toledo i, I mean uh the, the game against florida state i i mean they every time you, you know you think they're down they come back and they uh, and they bite you uh they come back and find a way to win but you're right i mean you know kyle hamilton against desmond ritter the cincinnati quarterback against alec pierce the wide receiver who made some sensational catches against the Indiana when Cincinnati beat Indiana, and Josh Weil, the uh, tight end who's off to a really slow start this year. Uh, Weil last year was terrific at times. I mean, absolutely game-controlling tight end. It's kind of fallen flat. I don't know if he's injured, um, but you got to watch Kyle Hamilton against it. I, I had a conversation with some of the guys at Pro Football Network. There's a lot of people talking about Kyle Hamilton as a top-ten pick. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's Kyle Hamilton – a free safety in the next level? Is he strong safety? Is he going to be beefed up to be a one-gap linebacker? I like him as a college player. I just don't know what he is yet as an NFL player. Going up against Pierce, going up against Weil, the uh, run option uh, pass, uh, the run option opportunities that Ritter brings, I, I mean, maybe this will bring it into more focus for me. Yeah, I'm interested because he patrols – Kyle Hamilton sort of – he patrols the middle of the field, but, I mean, the the two interceptions he had against FSU where he actually closed the speed, the gap off from the sides. I, I likened him to sort of a bigger Durbin James, not in the complete athletic ability realm, but in the sense that you can play him anywhere. You can play him as a strong safety. You mentioned free safety linebacker at, in college. It's He's that talented, I think, and that's – he's the, the ultimate decider for this game going forward. I don't trust Jack Cohn, the Notre Dame quarterback throwing, so I don't even really need to watch Ahmad Gardner on the outside for yeah, some time no, that's, that's, that's the other interesting thing. I mean, you know, if Cohn gets off to a slow start, do they pull him? Because, you know, yeah, if you watched the game last week, uh, when the backup quarterback came in, Notre Dame was able to move the ball, move the ball more easily, more efficiently than when Cohn was uh, underneath center. New Canaan, New Canaan zone in Connecticut. There you go. Right Got to give love for the hometown base, one of the hometowns are nearest the hometown there of a pro football network. So let's move, let's move forward here because you had a big story. You have a big story. You have a big piece of content this week. It's the 2022 draft board. Is this your first one? This is the first ranking draft board for the 2022 draft or this is it from me. Anyway, last year it was the end of October was the first one. This, uh, this is the end of, uh, end of September. And just to, you know, we talked about all these, uh, players going back for second senior seasons. A year ago, my first draft board, I believe, had about uh, 1,450 players. This year, it's got 1,650 players. And there's some guys that I haven't done, some of the smaller school guys that will be added on. So my second draft board may actually be bigger. Now, my draft board is all draft-eligible players. So you will get guys who are six-year seniors going back uh, for their second senior year. And you will get guys who right now as far as draft eligibility is concerned are third year sophomores they may be listed as redshirt freshmen on their respective college programs because they were redshirt freshmen last year and they're getting to repeat it but as far as the nfl draft is concerned they're redshirt sophomores so right now it's uh, 1645 players i believe 
uh, because of so many guys going back. And I'm sure that number will grow uh, up until January 15th when it gets pared down, when all the underclassmen uh, have to make their final decisions. And as we you know, talked about early in the show, February 4th, when we find out which seniors are going to go back for another uh, another uh, senior season. Yeah, but a little peek behind the scenes here. We had to we had about an hour long, maybe an hour and a half, maybe even three hours long discussion point about what do we do with these massive draft boards from you. We want to showcase it. We want to make sure it looks good on the site too. So we've uh, we're we're adding a little bit more resources behind it so we can make sure it uh, displays properly and allows us to edit as we get more players in, more players go out, more players, the the multiple windows there. There was the peek behind the curtain. It took us maybe three hours just to come up with a plan. And then it's going to take us a couple of weeks actually to make sure we institute it and implement it properly on the website. So that's coming soon. It's going to be pretty awesome. A couple of the changes. So the big board's here though. You did it. It's out. It'll be on the website. Overall, the 2022 NFL draft in your words, in your terms, you've done this long enough. Is this a strong or is this a weak draft? It's not, I don't want to, I don't want to characterize as weak, but it's not very good. I mean, everybody in the media focuses on the quarterbacks and quarterbacks literally the past 10, 15 years have been over drafted uh, come every April, but NFL war rooms want to see a lot of tackles. They want to see a lot of pass blocking tackles. Don't see that on my board. They want to see a lot of, Pass rushers, impact-type defensive players. There's one guy at the top, and then it really falls off. Want to see a lot of good cornerbacks because, you know, you can put three – you need three and four good cornerbacks on the field in the NFL at any one time. Again, one guy at the top, Derek Stingley, and then it really falls off. So right now, I think it's a below-par class. As I I said in the write-up when people read it, right, I have 10 – players with solid first first round grades right now, uh, which is a lot less than, a, than it was a year ago. When I spoke with scouts, most scouts, and this is inclusive of seniors as well as underclassmen, most scouts have about seven players right now with solid first round grades. Obviously, you're going to have 32 players uh, selected in, in the first round, and you usually end up with a number of anywhere between 20 to maybe 24 players that are considered true first round prospects. And the other guys fill in the back end. So when you're looking at numbers from scouts, seven, from myself, 10, guys with first-round grades, it tells you it's kind of on the bottom half of the meter as far as the overall strength is concerned. That's interesting. Does that, in your experience, is there one that compares to this? Or does that then relent to more trades? I, in your opinion, or or would that would people want to trade into the top half or the top ten of this first round coming up in April if they haven't rounded out a board of more than ten players? Well, it, you know, you're trading up for a specific player. Take the Jets last year when they had the two first round picks, they moved back up because they had a player in mind, Olivera Tucker. You know, are, are there going to be more trades? Well, if everyone, if a team is you know hell bent on say Kaivon Thibodeau and Kaivon Thibodeau starts to you know. Uh, slide down a few slots and they say, you know what, this is the only true edge rusher. Maybe they move up to get him. I think it's way too early to tell. I I don't think the strength or uh, lack of strength in a draft is going to make a team move up or down. It's the player that they really want that they want to move up and get. That's interesting. It'll be, this will be very fun having done a couple of drafts for pro football network in the past now, but also just in the draft in general, I can't remember one without a consensus 
sort of a quarterback, or at least people yeah. that thought high of, but you know, in generally not yeah. a not a very strong top half. This is very interesting, especially in today's NFL. This new, it's not the modern era, but it's the new modern era. I don't think we've had a draft like this this similar. So, speaking to that, last year's top of the class was very good. How does this top of the class? If there's you have seven players with a first, solid first round grade, how does this top top of this year's class compare to last year's top class? Well, I, I'm going to compare it at equal points. So, you know, a year ago when I came out with my first big board in October of uh, 2020, uh, there were two players that were head and shoulders on this board higher than everyone else, Trevor Lawrence and Jamar Chase. And those guys basically remained at the top of my board uh, throughout the uh, throughout the entire process. This year's top player, Kaivon Thibodeau, has an equal grade to the number three player, on last year's initial big board, which was ironically his former Oregon uh, teammate, Penny Sewell. I mean, Thibodeau is is my highest rated player uh, by a good margin. Uh, Derek Stingley is next, but overall, I think at equal points in time, last year's top the top of last year's boards was a bit stronger. In the case of Trevor Lawrence, uh, because it's sort of a uh, an outlier, if you will. Uh, much stronger in that sense, but overall, it was it was stronger last year. Okay, so you mentioned it too. Everybody likes to talk about quarterbacks. Let's do the yeah. that same exercise with quarterbacks. This year's draft class, we've seen. I mean, if you looked anywhere from uh, the end of April this year to about mid August, you know there was a consensus. It was one or two. It was Sam Howell or Spencer Rattler. Both of them get off to rocky starts, combined for five interceptions in week one. They may have shaken a little bit of those week one cobwebs, if you want to call them cobwebs or jitters. They just haven't looked like the number one overall pick. We've seen a couple of people maybe rise from obscurity at Jake Hayner. I'm not saying he's in the first overall pick or first quarterback realm at this point at all. Carson Strong, though, a group of five guy who has done nothing but impress. There's th- this t- this year's quarterback class, at least for you know maybe day one and day two, comparatively to last year's that saw five quarterbacks drafted in the top 15. Yeah, and again, let, let's compare it at equal points because, you know, I, I don't want to compare what's happening now to what happened literally, you know, what, eight months ago in April or six, well, however months ago. My, my math is off. Six months ago would be in April of uh, 2021. You know, but when you look at it, obviously, again, you had Trevor Lawrence, but that's the outlier. You had Justin Fields. You had Trey Lance, who played one game in the fall of uh, 2020. And everybody said, okay, you had those three guys. And those were three guys that everyone was talking about as top 10 picks. And, okay, well, Justin Fields is what, the 11th pick of the draft? So they were all, all top uh, three of them were top 11 picks. You had Zach Wilson, who was rising through the ranks. No, I don't think anybody at this point in time thought that Zach Wilson was going to be the second pick of the draft. Although later, last year in November, I started – you know, reporting that there were rumblings that people thought he was going to go before Justin Fields, which was news at the time. And then you had Mac Jones, who, again, at this uh, a year ago, no one thought that Mac Jones was going to end up as the 15th pick of the draft, although people were talking about Mac Jones as a second-day pick. And pretty much all those quarterbacks, except for Trey Lance, we're playing, we're playing well. Justin Fields had some bumps in the road last year, without a doubt. You could say Justin Fields played better in 2019 than he did in 2020, but he wasn't playing a bad football. Uh, Trey Lance had that one game against Central Arkansas. It was the only game that North Dakota State played in the fall where he was like, eh. <laughs> this year, it's, it's a different story. I mean, like you said, Rattler's not playing well. Uh, Sam Howell's playing 
poorly. Yeah. Malik Willis is playing okay. I, I mean, he's not setting the world on fire, Malik Willis, by any uh, any means. I mean, I think he has improved as a passer, but he's not putting up Zach Wilson-type numbers. You know, he's not doing what Mac Jones did a year ago. He obviously has improved his game between 2020 and the early part of 2021. But, you know, it, it, he's not setting the world on fire. Carson Strong is what he is. I thought that game against Kansas State was a bit of a step back for him. I was disappointed in him. Keaton Slovis, I, I mean, Keaton Slovis, I don't think he's played that well at all the, uh, this year. I mean, Keaton Slovis, at times he looks like a world beater. There are other times he looks like an egg beater. I mean, you look at the, uh, <laughs> the Oregon, uh, the Pac-12 championship game against uh, Oregon in 2020. That's Keaton Slovis. And there's been a lot of those egg beater moments this year. You know, you mentioned LB of of Western Michigan early in the show, but these are more day two picks. I don't think, especially the way Slovis has played, he's going to be a first round pick. I like Jaden Daniels. I think he's made some headway in his game, but still, I don't see Jaden Daniels making a Zach Wilson or Mac Jones type of meteoric rise, uh, Joe Burrow type rise into the the, uh, top half of round one anyway. Yeah, at this point last year, I, I want to say we were three games in maybe to the BYU schedule because they were playing earlier. They played Navy and he, Zach looks great. So there was, I, I feel like there was at least a, an inkling that you could look and see, hey, we have a kid who's throwing for 1,200 yards through three games. We we do have that in Jake Hayner, 1,800. I think they played Texas State early on too. I, I, I'm yeah, Texas State may have been early, but I know they had Texas State on this game. And I mean, BYU, God bless them, give them credit. They played anybody. <laughs> they, would just, they just wanted to play, as we saw in that Coastal Carolina. Right? Yeah. Oh, and they're I, what? They're in the they're the first in the Pac-12 South right now because they're four and on the Pac-12 South because they'll literally play anybody. I, I love I love what they do. That's a person. Quick personal aside. I'm gonna have to clip this for my BYU fan base on Twitter because they'll go nuts for it. Shout outs to the, my BYU hype train co-conductors out there. Last year we uh, we did a good job of helping keep them on the map. Um, but yeah, it's uh, we don't have anybody. This is very interesting. I think that's what I was alluding to earlier, where it's we knew or you could see that Joe Burrow was starting to get really good early, two, three games into the year. You could see that Zach had some talent and maybe he would be a guy who could sneak into the first round. Second pick, not through three games. You didn't know that. Nobody knew that. Mac Jones. Yeah, I mean, Mac Jones was uh, was setting the world on fire. And, you know, never and then later on, it comes out that Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith preferred Zach Jones over <laughs> over to us. So, uh, I, I mean, we don't see that yet. We, we no. see it in the, in the opposite direction, especially with Sam no. Howell. He's not played well. And Spencer Rattler has not played good. I don't want to say Spencer Rattler's played poor football. He's just not played good. He can't put teams to Oklahoma, cannot put teams away. Right. Yeah, no, this is uh, especially when you consider Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray. They would not have beaten West Virginia by three points and needing a – game-winning field goal to beat West Virginia at home. Those are guys that are putting up 50 points against West Virginia. So that's neither here nor there. This is very interesting. Obviously, a lot's going to change from September 30th, October 1st to the end of April next year. We'll be here to cover it all, which I'm very excited about. But right now, let's do just a fun exercise. The last two draft classes were ridiculously stacked at wide receiver, some calling it 2019, the best wide receiver class until the 2021 or 2020 class, then the 2021 class being even better than that. So the top five receivers, people love to talk about receivers. Every team needs at least three good receivers at this point. The top five on your board, Chris Olave from Ohio State, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, Justin Ross from Clemson, John Mechie from Alabama, 
And then a little ways down from there, Drake London from USC, the top five receivers. Who do we like? Or what, what do we like about those five? And number six, Jahan Dotson is kind of uh, peeking on the outside, uh, looking in. So he's close. I, I mean, you know, we're going to go back. We've gone through two consecutive drafts where it was loaded receiver. We're going to go back to the days. It looks like where we're going to have two or three receivers select in the first round. I mean, Olavi. I fail is all he's cracked up to be. I thought he should have entered last year's draft. There was talk that he was he stayed back because he thought he could be a top 10 pick in the 2022 draft. I don't think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I do think, though, he'll be a top 20 selection. I mean, he's got the speed. He's a terrific pass catcher. The only thing that's holding uh, Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson back uh, from really watching their draft stop take off is terrible quarterback play at Ohio State, which we spoke about after that Oregon game. So, it, which is is sad, but you know, a, a guy like Alave, it'll be interesting to see if he goes to the Senior Bowl. I mean, I, I think if he goes to the Senior Bowl, he, he's someone who watches uh, draft stop skyrocket. But as we've seen, those guys usually take a pass, unfortunately, at the Senior Bowl. Justin Ross, you know, at times Justin Ross shows flashes of dominance or flashes of the Justin Ross that we saw in 2019. At other times, he looks like he's rusty. You don't know what's going on with that injury. You know, my my number three ranking and my potential first-round grade on Justin Ross is based primarily on the dominance that he showed early in his Clemson career compared to what he's showing in 2021. Mechie has spoke about him before. He's getting a lot more chatter in the uh, in the scouting community. I mean, if he runs fast, he's going to go early in the draft. And Drake London, I think, is a guy who can sort of bust that uh, – bust the, the, the conversation and narrative about just being a big receiver who wins out for the contested throws because he is a smooth, gliding receiver who finds ways to separate – Terrific hands, outstanding eye forward, eye, eye, sla- uh, eye hand coordination. You can tell I eye forward slash hand coordination. That's the way I talk it when I verbalize it on my notes <laughs> when I'm watching film. So, uh, And Jahan Dotson, like I said, my number six receiver, but he's just on the outside looking in. And no matter what teams try and do, they can't stop him. And there's a big fall off. I mean, after that, it's Jalen Robinson, and I got him as a third-round pick. So it's been a, an embarrassment of riches at the receiver position, the last two drafts, I don't think it's going to be like that, close to that in 2022. Well, yeah. And then you also have the product of those last two draft classes where a lot of the teams that are picking, well, actually every team for that matter, I think there's only one team that doesn't pick until round two. So many receivers, the past two draft classes, nobody is going to take another receiver again, if you take them on so high. So like all these teams that are picking, they have other bigger needs right now than they do at wide receiver because of how stacked the last two have been. So it's just by default, we may not see people or receivers drafted high in this, or at least in first round, short of maybe one or two of them. Well, you got to take the New York Jets out of that conversation because they did draft a good receiver in the second round of the 2020 draft, but he's sitting around wasting away. And, you know, people should go back and watch our show from a week ago when we spoke of that at length. It doesn't seem to change. So uh, I, I understand what you're saying. I agree with you, but uh, I'm sorry. I, I got to throw a, a shot there at the New York Jets because sure the Jets again. Uh, their their approach and their treatment of Denzel Mims is just atrocious. I I just feel for him. I mean, what a talent! And here we are. I mean, it's not a just a talent. You know, it's not just what a talent. It's you know, when the guy's on the field, the guy produces. 
You know, it's not like he's been an embarrassment. It's not like he's slow off the snide. Literally, from the time he he healed up and he got on the field in 2020, he's produced for the team. The one game he played this year for the team, three snaps, a 40-yard reception, he produces. Well, he doesn't know, you know, he's an ex-receiver. He doesn't know the two other receiver positions. He's not good on special teams. Great. The Jets are 0-2. They may not win a game until November, but we're going to teach Denzel Mims a, a lesson, and we're going to make an example out of him. Makes no sense at all. I'm sorry. Because uh, clearly you need some help here. Uh, if Maybe they're going to try to teach him offensive line at this point, too, because they need help there. That's another story for another day. We'll discuss, I'm sure, the Jets, Zach Wilson, and this story all season long. Let's do one last wrap here. We talked about multiple of the quarterbacks. I'm going to read your top five quarterbacks as well. So the opposite end, the battles that the wide receivers will have to go through. Derek Stingley, the clear number one. The number two cornerback, Kyrie Elam from Florida. In action against Kentucky, uh, do they have a viable passing attack this week? I don't think so. After Elam, we take another little drop. It's then, I believe, Tyke Smith from Georgia. Woody Washington from Oklahoma. And then Darion Kendrick from Georgia as well as their top five corners. There's a, there's a sizable gap, though, from Elam down to that third overall or third-ranked corner cornerback at this time. So is there is that a, is that product of other players being good, or is that just they fall off from cornerbacks there? No, I, I think it falls off. I mean, it's not loaded a cornerback early on, but there are a lot of good day two corners. You know, uh, Roger McCreary out of Auburn is on the outside looking in. Caleb Evans of Missouri has moments. Ahmad Gardner seems to be rounding into form. Uh Darian Kendrick, I think, is more like, you know, his former teammate, Justin Ross, in that it's more on reputation rather than the way he's playing this season. If uh, Darian Kendrick doesn't really get it into gear quickly, he's going to drop down draft boards. We'll have to see how he does this week against Traylon Burks. I I think a lot of people were surprised by Woody Washington. He's had his ups and downs this year, but last year, wow. I mean, he was a terrific uh, shutdown corner, as was, you know, Tyke Smith, who played for West Virginia. So, and Kerry Lama, I, I like the way he's developed his game as well. But still, I, I mean, later on, <clears throat> you, you know, talking about late day two picks, you got Andrew Booth of Clemson, who's really developing a game. Nehemiah Pritchett of uh, Auburn, who's a little bit smaller, but I, I love the way he's played. Josh Job has been up and down, but he's got some underlying talent. I think Tariq Castro-Fields of uh, Penn State has also played really well in spots uh, this season. And if he shows consistency or consistently plays at a high level, uh, I I think he can go much earlier than where I presently have him rated, which is the late part of round three. All these players there on most of those teams, they keep winning and they keep showing out. You're going to hear about them a lot more. Uh, Castro Fields has been doing this for what it feels like four years now, locking down. Yeah, exactly. Starting. He's a longtime starter. Kendrick and Ross, you talk about that. I think they needed just to prove that they're healthy and at least can play close to where they were in those 2019 seasons in which they were, I mean, day one prospects, both of them, if they could have come out. So I'm interested to see how it all shakes out. The Arkansas-Georgia game, a lot of fun battles to watch. Uh, a lot and, of- you know, it is, I might want to say it's strange. That game is a 12 o'clock game rather than a 3.30 uh, CBS game. If I'm CBS, I may put that game on at 8 o'clock at night. Uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering why that game is, is a noontime game rather than, uh, you know. I believe, uh, I believe the college game day crew is getting the announcing of that game too, I think. Yeah. So I think Herb okay. Street and, and Fowler are doing that game actually uh, at noon. So I think I would assume game day is in, in the stadium there between the hedges. So 
maybe that's what, I don't know. I, I found that to be very interesting too. I, I, they missed the mark unless the media rights, who knows how those all work behind the scenes nowadays. So yeah, what is the I, I, I mean, the schedule, the schedule this week uh, for ESPN was may, I don't, I, it's not even, it's not even the last week. It is the final weekend of baseball. Not that uh, ESPN really cares about that, but uh, I mean, they got Florida, Kentucky at six o'clock and then their nine o'clock game is who I'm looking at here. Auburn, LSU. Okay, well, that maybe. I mean, although I don't think LSU is as good as uh, people think they are, and uh, I think Auburn's going to win that game pretty handily. Although that game is in uh, at LSU in Death Valley. Although there's a zillion Death Valleys in college football right now. <laughs> <laughs> Never understood that one. Once my wife that, asked, and I had to explain unruly. why there are multiple Death Valleys in college football, I sort of lost to myself. I don't know. Can't answer that for you. Uh, uh, it is strange because that's probably the premier uh, SEC game, and it's, it's the first one to kick off. It is, that is interesting. Hey, it sets our slate for us at noon. That'll be a lot of fun. That one is fun. The big board is even more fun. Make sure that you check it out, profootballnetwork.com. We have an entire tab dedicated to the NFL draft, but on that drop-down menu, when you click on draft, you'll see Tony's big board. Make sure you check it out. Give it a look. Give it a read and a Send some hurtful comments to us over on Twitter because I'm sure we handled those properly. <laughs> and can't can't back up our opinions at all. Also, stay tuned next week. We will be re-ranking, and I mean we, I will be re-ranking all 130 starting quarterbacks in the college football world after five weeks of action. So 130 quarterback rank, probably about 220,000 words. Uh, sorry, editors. Uh, if you're just hearing this or didn't do it the last one. Yeah, re-ranking 130 quarterbacks next week. So big board, 130 quarterback rankings. A lot of fun matchups this weekend. Week five is here for college football. Week four for the NFL. Burrow, Lawrence tonight. Let's have some fun. Uh, for Tony Pauline, I'm Cam Meller. This was Between the Hatches. <laughs>